Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Romans chapter 2, we are working our way uh, section by section through the book of Romans. And this morning, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. Romans chapter 2, 12 through 16. As you're opening your Bibles there, let me just kind of set the context for just a minute. Uh, In this section, uh, we are currently in a section that runs from chapter 2 to chapter 3, verse 8. And in this section... Paul is indicting the Jewish unbelievers. Paul's focus uh, right now is that Jews will not have any saving, special saving privileges from God just because their Jewishness, just because of their descent, uh, just because of their covenant relationship with God. Uh, Paul's like, no, no, there's no favoritism in God. God is not a God who shows, um, God shows no partiality. And one of the reasons why God is impartial is that he judges, like we talked about last week, according to each person's works. And so that's the section that we're in, Paul indicting unbelieving Jews, um, talking about uh, that God himself shows no partiality. He's impartial. He doesn't play favorites. And this morning, we're going to see that idea further explained and illustrated in this morning's text. So let's go ahead and read that. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus." Church, that is the word of the Lord. I've been pastoring for about 13 years now at this point. I did most of my time doing youth ministry. And over the years, I've been asked tons and tons of questions regarding the Bible. Uh, I've been asked, hey, Pastor Johnny, what does the Bible say about you guess dinosaurs. Like, I don't know why that one's always popular. What do you think about dinosaurs? Or what do you think about tattoos? Or uh, what do you think about my dog Fluffy? If he passes away, will I see Fluffy in heaven? I mean, I get all kinds of questions, and I've had all kinds of questions over the years by people within uh, the church. But there's one question that I've received pretty frequently, actually. Uh, from people inside the church and from people outside the church as well. And the question is this, what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? What about the people who have never heard about the gospel? Uh, What about that person in the jungle uh, who's who's not civilized, who's never 
uh, heard or, uh, the message of the gospel, who doesn't know anything about the Bible, who, who doesn't know anything about God, whose uh, missionaries have never reached him. What about that person? And so that question gets asked quite a bit. And the truth is that I've heard many, many terrible answers to that question. And I'm going to share with you four just terrible answers that I've heard about that question. Number one is universalism. Universalism is the belief that all people will be saved. Like everyone's going to be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single person that's ever lived on this earth will be saved. So it really doesn't matter. That person that's never heard the gospel, they are going to be saved regardless. And so I think here, really, the there's an overemphasis of God's love and a de-emphasis on God's justice and holiness uh, when people just simply say, well, everyone's going to be saved. And so I just don't think that's a biblical answer. Uh, I think that's incorrect. Second, and this is something I just recently learned, is the response of trans-dispensationalism. Trans-dispensationalism. It's a really long word simply to, to mean this. It means that God will save people if they open their hearts to the truth they received from God. For example, that person uh, in the jungle, um, you know, they, they've never heard the actual message of the gospel. They've never heard about Jesus. But as we've talked about in chapter one, God really reveals himself through what he's created. And so if that person in the middle of the jungle or just anywhere, right, anywhere uh, is just sincere about the, re- the light that they have been given, the revelation that they have been given through creation, if they're simply sincere about that, like, hey, God, I want to know you. I know there's a God out there. And if I'm sincere, then I can be saved. A big proponent of that view, and actually the proponent of that view, is evangelical pastor Tony Evans, which I had no idea that he believed that. And he's really well known. But again, that is unbiblical. Uh, and that's false. Uh, Third, the third um, answer that a lot of people give is annihilationism. Annihilationism is the belief that unbelievers will not experience an eternity of suffering in hell, but will instead be extinguished or destroyed after death. That God will simply just annihilate all unbelievers and they will no longer live and they will just cease to exist. And fourth, and I think this is the most um, given answer in our culture and even within the church is sentimentalism. Sentimentalism. Well, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't punish somebody if they never heard the gospel. Like, it's unfair of God. Uh, and God's not, uh, God's not like that. And God's loving. And that just doesn't sit well with me, with, with my sense of right and wrong, with my sense of justice. All those four answers, church, are just not good answers. And they're not biblical answers. When we really look at what the scriptures say. And so this morning, I want to answer that very question. What about people who've never heard? What about people who don't have the Bible? What about people who've never heard about Jesus? And I want to begin this morning by giving you the main idea of this text, which is the answer to the question And I hope that by the end of the message, I can prove that main idea of what Paul is saying here. And so here's the main idea, that God judges according to the light that each person has received. 
God judges according to works. We saw that last week. But God also judges according to the light that each person has received. God does not judge and punish according to what a person doesn't have, but according to what a person has received and according to what a person does with what they have received. And so again, I want to walk through this passage, and I hope I answer that question or I prove the main idea uh, this morning. Look at verse 12 with me again. Verse 12 says, For all who sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. There's two important words in this verse, and they happen, they occur twice as well. The word all and the word sinned. The word all and the words, they're so important in this verse. And the, the idea here is that all have sinned. Whether someone has the law of God or someone doesn't have the law of God, all, every single person who's ever lived, all, every single person, doesn't matter their background, where they were born, where they're from, where they're from, every single person has sinned with or without God's law, with or without God's word. And so here, the people without the law Paul is primarily speaking of Gentiles, right? A Gentile, someone who's not Jewish, that's really what it means. And so the Gentiles weren't given the, the law of God. The people who sinned under the law, Paul is speaking primarily of Jews or Gentiles who converted to Judaism, right? Those are the people under the law. And so that's who Paul has in mind here. Those without the law are Gentiles, and those who are under the law are Jews or Gentiles who converted to Judaism that received the law of God. Now, the question is, what does Paul mean by the law? Because he's going to use that a lot through Romans, and he's actually going to use it in different ways. So it's important that every time you hear the word law, as we're working our way through Romans, that we understand the context first of that passage so we understand how Paul is using the law. So I think here, based off the context of this passage, that Paul is using the law in, re in reference to God's moral law. He's using it, again, uh, in reference to uh, the Mosaic legislation, or more specifically, the Ten Commandments. Let me just show you uh, how I got there. If you, keep, if you continue looking in chapter 2, look at verse 21. The same con By the way, uh, Chapters and verse numbers were not in the original, right? So like sometimes we kind of separate that, uh, separate certain sections, but there was no chapters or no verse numbers in the original. So it just, it's in the same context. But look at verse 21 of chapter two. It says, and still speaking to the Jews, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Doesn't that sound a little familiar? Doesn't it sound a little like the Ten Commandments, at least a snippet of the Ten Commandments? And so that's what Paul has in mind here with the law, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And so here in verse 12, it's very simple what Paul is trying to say. Those without the law will perish. And that word perish means eternal punishment. Uh, Jesus uses it in the gospels of eternal punishment. It doesn't mean destruction. It means eternal punishment. So those without the law will perish without the law. Those with the law will be judged by the law. So in other words, 
God will judge each person according to the light that they have received, to the revelation that they have. Now, I want to point something out that's very, that's kind of implied here as well, but I want to draw it out. Not only will God judge people according to the light they receive, but God will also punish each person based on the light that they have received. Let me say that again. God will punish each person based on the light that they have received. In other words, there will be degrees of punishment in hell. In hell, not everybody will be punished the same. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 11. And this is Jesus' own words. Jesus has been preaching in a bunch of cities, and they have rejected him. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He says this, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre, Sidon, Old Testament cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So essentially, Jesus is bringing judgment upon these cities that he's preached and done all these mighty works, yet they remained unrepentant. And he says, hey, these Old Testament wicked cities would have repented if they saw the, the works I did or if, if, they saw my, if they heard my teaching, verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, again, a city where Jesus did miracles and he, he taught, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done uh, in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. More tolerable, right, he says, more bearable on the day of judgment for these Old Testament wicked cities. Now, why would it be more bearable for them? Because the cities that Jesus did his miracles in, the cities that Jesus preached had a greater revelation, a greater light of who he was. was isn't that true? The Old Testament uh, cities had just partial revelation or, or partial light, but Jesus is here himself, God in the flesh among these cities. And so it will be more tolerable, more bearable for even an Old Testament wicked city than the cities that have rejected Jesus based off the light they received. And I was thinking too, if the people of Jesus' day who rejected him will receive greater punishment than the Old Testament wicked cities, how much more punishment will people today receive who sit in church services week after week, and who now have the full revelation of God. Not only will a person be judged according to the light they have, but they will also be punished based off the light that they have received. And so it is important that we not deceive ourselves. It's important that we become doers of the word, not simply hearers of the word. Amen. And we'll get to that in a bit. That's just something we don't really think about a lot. And so unfortunately, there will be, again, many people who will sit in church services week after week, 
and still reject God and still reject Jesus. And essentially, just as they hear, as they listen to the gospel and the word to be preached, are simply condemning themselves. And so that's why I think it's important for us to be truthful and loving and share the gospel, even with people who we think at times know Christ. Look at verse 13. Paul's going to give us a little more description of what he means here. He says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And again, here Paul is referring to unbelieving Jews. It's not the hearers of the law who will be righteous or justified, but the doers. And so the Jews uh, heard the law read week after week after week in their synagogues. Week after week, they heard the law. And so Paul's saying, look, just because you're Jewish and God gave you the law and you sit under the law at synagogue every single week, doesn't mean that you're good with God. Doesn't mean that you are right with God. Doesn't mean that you are justified. It's really interesting that Paul does not use the normal word for hearing here, which is akuo, to hear, but uses the word akrotes. And this word describes a person, a person whose job is to listen constantly. It, it's a, it's, it describes a person whose business is to listen constantly. It's more than hearing, it's listening. For example, like a student whose job is to listen to a professor. And he says, look, it's not those who hear constantly like you Jews who sit in synagogue every week who are righteous before God. It's the doers of the word. It's not the hearers of God's law. It's the doers of God's word that will be justified. So what does that term justified mean? It's a very important term in the book of Romans. It's, it's going to come up a lot as we go through Romans to be justified means that we are forgiven of the guilt and the penalty of sin. It also means that we have Christ's perfect righteousness credit to our account. So in other words, we exchange our sin for his righteousness. That's what justification means, that God declares us righteous that we exchange our sin for his righteousness through faith in Christ, and we could stand before God not being condemned. And not only that, when one places their faith in Christ, God imputes Christ's perfect obedience to that person so that we can do the law of God. So in other words, let me just say this, and let me just be clear of what this text is not saying. This text is not saying that if I do the law, and if I work hard enough, I can earn my own salvation. That's what it's not saying. This idea was covered last week when we looked at verse 7 and verse 10. Let me just read them briefly. To those who by patience in well-doing or doing good, doing good works, seek for glory and honor and immortality will be given eternal life. This is not saying that if we work hard enough, we're going to earn our, our justification, that if we work hard enough, we're going to earn our favor with God. No, this is speaking of a person who has already believed in Christ, who has already been regenerated. Therefore, they have the righteousness of Christ imputed on in them so they can be doers of the law. 
It's not a works-based salvation. It's a faith-based salvation that produces works, that allows us to do the law of God. So it's not the hearers of the law. It's the doers of the law that will be justified. Look at verse 14. For when Gentiles, again, now we have unbelieving Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. By nature, unbelievers do what the law requires. For example, you don't have to be a Christian or a believer to take care of your parents and honor your parents. There's a lot of people who are unbelievers that do that because they believe it's good and it is good. There's a lot of unbelievers who are faithful to their spouse because, hey, we know that adultery is not good. We know many unbelievers who tell the truth, right, and who are honest and reliable and who love people and who are generous and who care for the needy, right? Like, like we know that there's a lot of people who don't know Christ that are not Christian that by their very nature do things that the law requires. We know that. And so what Paul is saying here is that there are laws to themselves. In other words, their behavior serves as a witness against them that they do in fact know what God requires. Because by nature, they do good things. They love, they're sacrificial, they fight for justice by nature. And so their very behavior at the very end will serve as a witness against them. They could never say, well, I, I didn't know. Yes, you did. By nature, you did good things. You understood what was bad. And by nature, you understood what was good. So you can't say, hey, I just didn't know. I didn't know what was bad. I didn't know what was wrong. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, that through their behavior, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. The work of the law, meaning the moral law of God, the requirements for the moral law of God is written on their heart. The work of the law is written on every single person, including an unbeliever. God has placed a moral GPS in the soul of every single person that he created in his image. Every single person has this moral GPS that guides him or guides her in accordance to what is right and what is wrong. That is what it means to be in the made, that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. That's how God created, created us with this innate understanding of right. And wrong. Obviously, that was marred because of the fall and distorted because of the fall. But every single person has that moral GPS. And Paul says that their conscience also bears witness, not just their works, right? Not just their conduct and not just the work of the law that's written on their hearts, but also their conscience bears witness against them. A person's conscience passes judgment on whether one has obeyed God's law or not. A person's conscience condemns or approves of their behavior. A person's conscience 
approves or disapproves or condemns of a person's motives or thoughts. Again, God not only placed a moral GPS in every single person, but God placed a moral smoke detector within every single person so that they know what's right and what's wrong. The conscience also, on that day of judgment, will bear witness against that unbelieving person who is without the law, who's never heard of Christ, because in their nature, they know what's right and wrong. The work of the law is written on their heart. We're not going to get this. We're not going to get into this uh, too deeply today. We're going to cover it in detail in Romans chapter fourteen uh, on the on um, the, the topic of a, a person's conscience. In Romans fourteen, we'll probably get to Romans fourteen in about eight years or so. So we'll get, we'll talk about it then. But uh, I wanted to say this here that a person's conscience can be seared. A person's conscience can be severely seared, branded in, other, in, in another sense, by the way they live. The more a person rebels against God, the more a person lives in sin, the more a person rejects God, their conscience can ultimately be completely seared. Paul talks about this when he writes to Timothy about even false teachers He says this, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. Like you, you, you have, like a person who has a seared conscience is like a car with no brakes. You can't stop that person. There's nothing holding that person back or there's nothing restraining that person back from living and doing evil and wickedness. A car with no brakes leads in destruction and devastation, and a person with a seared conscience also results in a life of devastation and destruction. And so I was thinking, I don't know about you, but I thought about this this thought. Could you imagine a world with no conscience? Could you imagine a world where God didn't write the work of the law in every single person? Could you imagine a world where God didn't give us a conscience of right and wrong by nature? Could you imagine a world where everyone had a seared conscience? What would that look like? I don't know about you, but as I was working through this passage I just started thanking God for his grace. That we don't live in a world where he didn't give us, every single person, including unbelievers, a moral GPS, a moral smoke detector. Because if he wouldn't have, it would just be complete chaos. So thank God that even people who do terrible things, and we don't even have to give details, just turn on the news, get on YouTube. I mean, we hear the atrocities that happen in our world. 
even those people still have some kind of conscience. And so we just have to thank God. God, thank you that you have given every single person some kind of moral compass. Otherwise, our world would be just completely chaos. And it's God's common grace to every single person. So, Paul also says, not only the conscience bears witness, but their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This idea of conflicting thoughts is closely related to conscience, but it's also different. You see, conscience is more intuitive. It happens right away. Conflicting thoughts describe more of a contemplation. Uh, Am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? People think about their actions, don't they? And again, the the idea of them thinking through their actions, is this right, is this wrong, based off this moral compass that they have, will be evidence against them on that day. And finally, look at verse 16. So their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus. So a person's conscience and thoughts will excuse them or accuse them all the way until judgment day. However, it will not be a man's or woman's conscience or thoughts that will have the final verdict. The one that will have the final verdict is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge. He will have the final verdict. He will have the ultimate decision, and he will judge impartially. He will judge perfectly And as Paul says, the secrets of men, he will judge both actions and motives. He will judge actions and thoughts of every single unbeliever. So, what about those who have never heard? Well, what do we know? We know that all have sinned and are without excuse. Every single person, including myself, including that person who's never heard of the gospel. We all have sinned. That's what we know. Number two, what do we know? That God has given every single person the light of creation. Romans chapter one, there's no excuse. People know that I exist based off my creation and the light of conscience. They have the light of conscience. Number three, we know that God is impartial. He's an impartial God. Therefore, God will not unjustly hold anyone responsible for what they have never possessed, but they will be judged on the basis of what they do possess. So what does that person who's never heard the gospel possess? The light of creation, the light of conscience, the work of the law written in their heart. They know right from wrong. And so based off of those standards, and according to that, according to that light, God will judge. So the answer is, a person who's never heard of Jesus, who's never heard of gospel, will not be judged because they, because because not because they haven't heard the gospel, but because they have 
rebelled against God and sinned against God based off the light that they've received. And so that's, again, the main idea of this passage. God judges according to the light that each person has received. And scriptures are also clear, church, that there is no salvation apart from Christ. I mean, that's how we started this book, right? For I am not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Paul, Paul didn't say, for I'm not ashamed of the sincerity of people. For the sincerity of people is the power of salvation. He didn't say that. He said it's the gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so those who have never heard the gospel will perish. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Well, I think there's an important implication here if you don't know who Jesus is. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never repented, the implication is this, that their salvation. That God has given you the light of creation, that God has given you the light of conscience, the light of the gospel, so that you can repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. And so my friend, if you don't know Jesus, whether you're here this morning, you're watching online, or maybe you're watching this sermon years down the road, my friend, you will have no excuse on judgment day. You cannot tell the Lord on Judgment Day, well, I went to church and I heard a lot of sermons. We're not saved by hearing sermons. We're saved by repenting and placing our faith in Christ that empowers us through his power, through his righteousness to do what the sermon says. But hey, God, I, I didn't know right from wrong. I, I didn't know what you, you required. Yes, you did. I wrote the law in your heart. And both your actions and your conscience actually were a witness against you. So friend, I just encourage you that to place your faith in Jesus, to come to Christ truthfully, Yes, Jesus will be the judge on that day. Scripture's clear. But he's Savior today. Amen. Jesus is both judge and Savior. And he will save people from their sins. He will save people from hell. He will save people from perishing if you would place your faith in Christ. Believers, I think the implication is very clear for us as well here too. It is the doers of the law that will be justified, right? And we don't do the law or we don't do good works to be saved. We do them because we're saved. Let me remind you of what James says about being doers of the word. James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So believer, be a doer of the word, not just a hear. Look into God's perfect mirror, his word. As it chisels out those areas in our lives that we need to work on, as it encourages us, as it comforts us, as it give us, gives us hope, but as it also corrects us in holiness and righteousness. Be doers of the word. I think in Western Christianity, especially in our times, we can get so comfortable with simply coming to church as a routine, right? We hear the word and the word goes in one ear and out the other and that's all it is. We just come to hear sermons. And that's true for me too. And I preach those sermons. Can I even say that? I don't know. Let's be doers of the word. Not simply hearers of the word. And there's no greater doing as a believer than living out the great commission of God, isn't there? Isn't that true? The greatest thing that we can do as believers, as we do the word of God, as we do what the law requires, the greatest thing we could do is share the gospel with those who don't know. You see, we always think about that person in the jungle who doesn't know, who's never heard about Jesus' church. Let me remind you, there are people within your community, your street, where you live, that have never heard the true message of the gospel. We don't have to go to a remote, remote part of some country. There are people where we work, where our kids do soccer in our school that have never heard a true, robust explanation of the gospel. And so let me just encourage you with what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's preach the good news of the gospel. There are people in our lives, friends, close friends, close family, who've never truly heard the message of the gospel. You see, on Sundays, we gather to worship God and give glory to God. But Monday through Saturday, we scatter. On Sundays, we gather, but through the week, we scatter into different neighborhoods, into different areas of the valley and of our community to be that light. So let's be doers of the word, but let's be spreaders of the gospel. 
because we know the gospel saves. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given every single person light, whether it's through creation, conscience, the work of the law written on their hearts. God, you've given every single person light. And you will judge every single person according to that light they received. And so, God, I pray that you would use us to spread the gospel so that people can find salvation in you so that they would not perish but have everlasting and eternal life. So, God, use us powerfully. Use us as a church. Yes, it's scary to spread the word at times, but, God, give us the the boldness and the courage needed by the power of your spirit to be used by you. And God, I just pray that you would continue to draw people to yourself. God, you're sovereign and you're gracious. And I pray that the light that you have given people that would have caused them to surrender their life. That you would remove the veil from their eyes so they can see you clearly. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that we would be on mission for you to those that have not heard. In your name we pray. Amen. Nay. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.